Okay, we were knee joint, right? Okay, knee joint, we need to look at anterior posterior cruciate ligaments inside the knee joint, inside the fibrous capsule. The anterior cruciate ligament is going to come from the middle portion of the tibia here, just in front of the intercondylar eminence in the front. Direction of the anterior cruciate ligament is going to be upwards, backwards, and laterally sometimes described as the direction you hold your, when you're holding your pen, upwards, backwards, and laterally. So what it's going to do is attach to the medial side of the lateral condyle of the femur. You've got to imagine now, remember the femur has that intercondylar notch in the middle. So it's got a medial condyle and a lateral condyle. So the medial condyle, if we look at the, look at the design of the femur, the medial condyle will have a directed towards the middle of the, of the knee joint, the medial condyle will have a, a lateral aspect to it, and the lateral condyle will have a medial aspect to it, both facing in towards that intercondylar fossa. So the anterior cruciate ligament is going to come from the front of the tibia, upwards, backwards, and laterally, and it's going to attach to the medial side, inside medial side, of the lateral condyle of the femur. That would be the design then of the anterior cruciate ligament. And what that's going to prevent is the tibia from moving too far forward with respect to the femur. And so it's going to prevent anterior displacement of the tibia with respect to the femur. Right? So if you're, if you're considering the femur to be your stationary bone, it's not moving, then if you take the tibia and the fibula, you take your leg and you pull it forward, then you're testing the, uh, the um, ability of the anterior cruciate ligament to do its job and prevent forward displacement of the tibia when you consider the femur to be the fixed bone. Now, if you consider the, the tibia to be the fixed bone, that is, you're standing and somebody hits you on the femur, drives it backward, then you get the same thing. This is the femur, that's the tibia, the relationship is this. And it doesn't matter whether or not the tibia goes forward and this remains stationary, or the femur goes backwards and this remains stationary. You get the same thing, the tibia in front of the femur. Right? That would be the job then of the anterior cruciate ligament. Posterior cruciate ligament is going to come from the more back posterior aspect of the top of the tibia, just behind the intercondylar eminence. Posterior cruciate ligament is going to be traveling upwards, forwards, and medially, and it's going to be attaching then to the lateral side of the medial condyle of the femur. The lateral side of the medial condyle is that side of the, con of the medial condyle that's facing in towards the, the middle of the knee joint. And the posterior cruciate ligament is going to do the, exactly the opposite. It's going to try to prevent the tibia from being displaced posteriorly with respect to the femur. So once again, we come up with the same thing. Doesn't matter whether or not the femur remains stationary and the tibia is driven backward, right? Or the tibia remains stationary and the femur is driven forward. You still get the relationship of the tibia and the fibula in, in that relationship. 
anterior and posterior cruciate ligaments are then there to prevent anterior posterior displacement of the tibia on top of the femur, if you want to look at it that way. And there's a look at the attachment of, there's one look at the attachment of the uh, anterior and posterior cruciates inside the, inside the knee joint. Uh, taking a look once again at the uh, attachments, posterior cruciate ligament just behind the intercondylar eminence, anterior cruciate ligament just in front of the intercondylar eminence on the top of the tibia. Okay. So they're going to prevent anterior and posterior displacement. And then we also have within the knee joint a couple of fibrocartilage pads, medial and lateral meniscus. You take a look at them here. The lateral one tends almost to be complete. The medial one is a lot more broad in its attachment. These are called the horns of the meniscus here and here, the anterior and posterior attachments. You notice on, the, uh, on this side, on the lateral side, we're almost coming around and attaching but on the medial side, it's a little more open. Meniscus is then going to deepen the socket of the knee, of the knee joint and allow then the femur to glide nicely on top of the tibia. The outer or the perimeter of the meniscus is going to be wider or thicker around here than this area here. This is very thin in this region here, but the outer edge of it will be a lot thicker. So it's kind of wedge shape if you look at it from the side, right? And once again, it's going to then help to deepen the socket between the the, uh, the femur and the top of the tibia. And this one in the blue ones will give you the attachment of the horns of the meniscus on either side. You notice the lateral horns um, almost cl very close together and then the medial ones a little bit split a little bit further apart. So the medial ones are not quite as, a, as a tight of a C shape as you had on the lateral side. So that would be then the, ant the uh, medial and lateral meniscus. Keeping in mind, and I think I mentioned it before, that on the lateral side, the lateral collateral ligament or the fibula collateral ligament, it does not attach to the lateral meniscus. But on the medial side, the medial collateral or tibial collateral ligament does attach to the medial meniscus. So a lot of the time when there's some kind of damage to the medial collateral ligament, there would also be damage to the medial meniscus because the two things are attached to each other. But not on the lateral side, because remember the lateral side, we need to have the lateral collateral ligament coming out. We need to have space for that popliteus muscle to come out of the capsule. And so therefore, the meniscus is, can't be attached to the, um, the lateral collateral ligament because of that. All right, next step. We take a look at uh, where am I going to go with this? Which one do I like the best? Okay, we'll try that one. The synovial membrane inside the fibrous capsule, the knee joint, is not uh, it's pretty complex. It's kind of tricky, actually. A couple of things to keep in mind. The synovial membrane has to follow the, outside, the inside design of the fibrous capsule. Right? Then what you're going to do with the synovial membrane is you're going to take it 
from the apex of the patella, which is the bottom point of the patella, in two parts. And then what you're going to do is create a synovial fold. And from the apex of the patella, you take that synovial fold on either side and you bring it up and attach to the middle of the intercondylar eminence in the, in, in the femur up here. So this is what this represents. This is our infrapatellar fold of synovial membrane. It's coming from the apex of the patella and it's coming together like this and it's going to attach up here to the middle portion of that intercondylar notch or intercondylar fossa on the femur. Okay. Then what you need to do then is from this fold here you will drop down a curtain that will attach to the tibia on this side and drop down a synovial lining or uh, curtain I call it coming down on this side to attach on either side of the intercondylar eminence on the top of the tibia. So that when you're looking at the attachment of the synovial membrane on the top of the tibia, it looks like, do I have another one like that? Let me see, one thing more a sec. Uh, nope, let's go back to that one. My only one. Uh, nope, that'll do. The yellow represents the attachment of the synovial membrane. And you notice that what we've done is we've taken that, the, the infrapatellar fold that came from the, the um, middle of the, uh, the intercondylar notch or fossa on the femur, we've taken it down on in two parts and come down and attached onto the top of the tibia. So this here represents the fold on one side and this represents the fold on the other side. If you took those two parts and brought them up like this, they would form then the two curtains of that intercondylar, of in, the infrapatellar fold. So what, a, what you're looking at then, you see, is that the anterior and the posterior cruciate ligaments are not included in any kind of synovial cavity. The synovial cavities in the knee are three of them, in, and they interconnect. You've got one on the medial side and one on the lateral side, and you've got the one synovial cavity that is now going to come from the patella and it's going to go up underneath the quadricep muscle and come back down and attach onto the femur. So there's three interconnecting synovial cavities within the knee. Your anterior and posterior cruciate ligaments in the middle are not included in any of those three interconnecting synovial cavities. All right? So, Let's take a look at some other pictures and see if we can come up with something else. A couple of things to keep in mind. One thing to keep in mind that we talked about before was that the front of the fibrous capsule here, we had the vastus medialis, vastus lateralis coming down and attaching onto the patella. Then we had extensions of the vastus medialis and lateralis and the iliotibial band giving us what referred to here as the, these retinacula, these continuations of the fibrous capsule in the front. The fibrous capsule of the knee joint, it really doesn't exist up here. So what's going to happen is that the synovial membrane that is attaching to the underside of the patella, it's going to go underneath the quadricep muscle, and it's going to then come back down, reflect back down, so you've got a pocket of synovial. It comes up and goes back down, then attaches onto the femur. So you, what you've got is a redundant piece of synovial membrane traveling from the patella up underneath the quadricep muscle and then coming back down. 
You need to have that redundancy in the synovial membrane because you need to have the ability for it to accommodate the fact that you're going to flex your knee. If you flex your knee, you need, that's going to be a greater area that has to travel. When you extend your knee, then that synovial reflection has to be then pulled back up underneath the quadricep muscle so it doesn't get pinched or it doesn't buckle. Okay, so keep in mind that the front of the knee joint capsule is really, we lose it from in this region because what we've got will be the quadricep muscles coming into the patella and we've also got those reflections of the quadricep um, in the medial and the lateral retinacula that help to form part of the inferior part of the capsule of the knee joint. Okay, so if we go back, that one's a better one. Here's, a, here's the reflection of the synovial membrane. It's come off the patella. You don't have a patella here. It's come off the patella. It's gone back up underneath the quadricep muscle, and it's come back down. And the blue line shows where the attachment of the synovial membrane would be to the femur. So you've got a, a reflection of the synovial membrane up underneath the, the quadricep muscle. So that gives you an idea of the attachment. And you'll notice as well, the red is the attachment of the fibrous capsule. And notice it's only attached here and over here. We've got a patella in the middle. And then as I mentioned, all that component up here, there really isn't much of a capsule to it. It's really made up of the tendons of the, and the vastus medialis lateralis muscles coming into the, into the patella. So there is no patella here, right? But you'll notice here and here, that's the extent of the attachment of the fibrous capsule in the front. The rest of it would be running into the patella. And then as I mentioned, we kind of lose the fibrous capsule above the level of the patella here. We take synovial membrane from the patella, put it up, and bring it back down, and then have it attach onto the femur here. And once again, we follow that same rule that we're going to attach the synovial membrane around here, around the margin of where that articular cartilage was. So all of this smooth area here would be articular or hyaline cartilage. And the synovial membrane would then attach onto the femur at the rim or the edge of that articular cartilage. All right, so then, let's see. We can keep going. Here's another try at it. All the pink area here is synovial membrane, right? So you have to have the synovial membrane cover the inside of the fibrous capsule as far as that we've designed. And then what you're going to, here's our patella ligament here. They've taken the patella away, obviously. Then we've got a little bit of a fat pad behind it, and now we have the synovial membrane. So here's the synovial membrane coming around this way. So if we take the synovial membrane from the um, apex of the patella, we take it up in, in two layers, right one and a left one, you bring it up and attach it to the intercondylar notch or fossa on the femur, and then you, then you would drop down and attach onto the top of the tibia a right and left membrane or curtain, as I call it. And that would then be the, the right and left curtains of that infrapatellar fold coming down and attaching onto the tibia. And you notice the anterior and the posterior cruciate ligaments are not included in any of the synovial cavities found within the knee joint itself. Here's another try at it. 
this one is giving you the idea that we're going to take that synovial membrane from the back of the patella, we'll take it up underneath the quadricep muscle, and we'll bring it back down and attach it onto the tibia, onto the femur rather, coming down this way. And that attachment would only go as far as the attachment of the hyaline cartilage on the end of the femur. So this is the redundant fold of synovial membrane from the patella up underneath the quadricep muscle and then back down and attaching onto the, onto the femur, that thing there. And we even have a little muscle up here that is going to, what it's going to do is we'll pull back up on the, on the synovial fold so that when you extend your knee, that little fold doesn't get pinched or wrinkled. It'll be drawn back up. Right. So that's another look at the at design of it. It's one other try at it, anyway. Here's another look at the same thing. Similar look at the same thing. Here's another look at the top of the tibia again. Once again, the red line indicates the attachment of the synovial membrane. And you'll notice the synovial membrane is going to attach along here and it's going to come along and attach along here. Those attachments would be the bottom dropping down of the two synovial folds coming from that infrapatella synovial fold. And the anterior and posterior cruciate ligaments would be here and here. Then from the patella here, interconnecting the third component of that synovial cavity, from the patella, then we would then go up underneath the quadricep muscle and come back down and attach onto the femur. So you have three interconnecting synovial cavities with the in anterior and posterior cruciate ligaments in the middle not included in any of those three interconnecting cavities. Another look at the same thing. The purple is the synovial membrane. So you can see the synovial membrane here will come from the patella, will come back up underneath the quadricep muscle and come back down and attach onto the femur, coming around this way. Now this picture here, because it's from the side, isn't going to give you any view of that infrapatellar fold that's coming up inside the joint cavity itself. This is just giving you a, a, a lateral view of it coming around that way. But that, this represents then that, that extension of the synovial membrane from the patella and up underneath the quadricep and back down. And you also notice here as well that we mentioned before that the uh, attachment of the lateral collateral ligament kind of split the attachment of the biceps femoris. So there's the biceps femoris attached on the top of the fibula here is kind of split with the attachment of that lateral collateral ligament coming around this way. All right. Same thing. To pick up the infrapatellar fold, the infrapatellar fold here coming from the apex of the patella is going to have two sides to it, one side, and the other side it'll attach to the intercondylar notch right in the middle here. And then you drop down a sheet of it down this way to attach onto the tibia here, and there'll be one on the opposite side here, and in between those two sheets coming down will be the anterior and posterior cruciate ligaments. The patella sits here, and right behind the patella will be a fat pad. And then right behind that will be the poles of synovial membrane. 
kind of like that one. Then within the knee joint itself, we're going to establish. We're going to establish some bursa pads in order to protect the tendons. We've got one a uh, in between the skin and the patella here, a, a subcutaneous prepatella bursa up here. We're going to have one a little bit lower down between the skin and the tibial tuberosity and the patella ligament, subcutaneous infrapatella to help us. We're going to have one on the inside surface between the tibial, between the patella ligament and the tibial tuberosity. We'll have a deep one here, an infrapatella one. And they treat that reflection of the synovial membrane from the patella up underneath the quadricep muscle and back down as a bursa pad, referred to as the suprapatella bursa. So this one and this one are going to help protect the skin from being irritated from contact. This one back behind the patella ligament will help to protect the patella ligament from contact against the roughness of the of bone itself. And this one is going to be used in order that we have some redundancy in the synovial folds so that it will allow the knee to flex and then extend required. So we end up with they're not all of the bursa pads, obviously. This one has a, a couple of other ones associated with it. They're not in the book. This one would be where the, the uh, sartorius gracilis and semitendinosus muscles attach. Around there, we need a little bursa pad to help protect the, those tendons from being irritated against the rubbing on the bone, coming back around this way. So those, that gives you a look at the... Uh, I only put down the four bursa pads, the, the, the major ones, coming around the, to take a look at it there. Uh, that one shows the same thing. The green ones are the bursa pads. One between the skin and the patella, subcutaneous prepatella. One a little bit lower down, subcutaneous once again, just underneath the skin, helping to protect then the skin against the tibial, the uh, patella ligament and the tibial tuberosity. And then one on the deep side, helping to protect the patella ligament or patella tendon against the bone itself. And then this one that we treated as the reflection of the synovial membrane up under the quadriceps as the suprapatella bursa pad. All right, knee joint itself is flexing and extending. In remember, in complete extension of the knee, you get slight medial rotation of the femur on top of the tibia. It locks it in. Use the popliteus muscle then to rotate the femur in the opposite direction to unlock the knee so that other muscles can take over and you can flex the knee. That screw home mechanism of rotating slightly medially when the knee goes into full extension. We talked about that and we talked about the attachment of the um, popliteus muscle and its function in rotating. If we look at the attachment of the top attachment of the fibula to the tibia, that's a synovial joint. So it would have a fibrous capsule around it. It would be synovial lined. Uh, the, the articulating ends or surfaces of the bone would have hyaline cartilage, the same kind of 
movement there. Uh, at that joint, we're not going to get much in the way of movement. We might get what I kind of classify as a little bit of give at that movement. Okay. When your ankle goes into dorsiflexing, the talus bone is a little bit wider at the front and a little bit narrower at the back. So when you dorsiflex your ankle, you take the two malleoli and you kind of pull them apart a little bit. That's why your ankle's a little bit more stable in the dorsiflex position than it is in the plantar flex. In the plantar flex position, the narrow part of the talus fits between the malleoli, so the ankle joint's not quite as sturdy. So in the dorsiflex position, the wider part of the, of the talus fits between the two malleoli and kind of splays the ankle out a little bit, pulls the two malleoli out. Well, that pulling apart has got to be reflected up here, so there has to be a little bit of give up here as the bones here are going to spread apart just slightly. So there is virtually no movement, but a, a little bit of give at that joint in order to accommodate the uh, difference at the ankle joint when you're in plantar flexing and dorsiflexing. Still a synovial joint, and, uh, but very little movement at that joint there. Then, of course, we've got the interosseous membrane that goes between the fibula and the tibia. It will link the two bones together. And it also serves as a, an extension of the surface area. And we picked up a number of muscles that originated from the interosseous membrane. So that's what we have at the top. At the bottom, the tibia and the fibula. The fibula is going to fit into that fibular notch on the tibia. Because we have the medial malleolus and the lateral malleolus of the fibula there. What we've got here on the front and on the back will be a fibrous connection between the tibia and the fibula. It's a syndesmosis type joint. It's not a synovial joint at that, that spot. So we will end up then with a posterior tibiofibular ligament. And on the front side, we'll end up with an anterior tibiofibular ligament. Joining the two bones together, what they're going to do then is make this mortise or this little pocket here and we'll fit the talus bone in there to make the talocrural joint, the ankle joint. Right? We talked about the talocrural joint before when we were looking at uh, ankle movement. So this is a syndesmosis joint. It's not a synovial joint. It's not a uh, one with a fibrous capsule. It's a, con it's a connection that way. Let me make sure I don't. And have you heard the term that some people, more, more and more they use the term, uh, a high ankle sprain? A high ankle sprain is a sprain of that connection, the most of the time. A connection, that anterior, inferior, tibiofibular ligament being splayed apart a little bit, that they refer to as a high ankle sprain. So it's not, it's not a sprain of the uh, ligaments joining the tibia and fibula to the tarsal bones. It's a, it's a pulling apart of that syndesmosis type joint between the tibia and fibula. All right, so we've got the tibia and the fibula put together down at the bottom. That's not too bad. The talocrural joint is going to, once again, it's going to be the same story as we had in a number of different times. The anterior and the posterior components of the fibrous capsule going around the joint are going to be relatively thin, so that will allow us the movement of plantar flexing, dorsiflexing of our ankle. What you have to do is reinforce the medial side and the lateral side of the joint. And what we're going to do then is then increase or thicken the medial and lateral sides in order to um, establish intrinsic ligaments around the joint. So on 
the joint capsule does come down the front here anteriorly and does go down the back posteriorly, but once again, relatively thin to allow for movement. We'll, we'll thicken the medial side, we'll thicken the lateral side with uh, ligaments, intrinsic ligaments to give support to the joint on either side. And luckily enough, on the medial side here, all this mess here, all we can call it the deltoid ligament. Because it's shaped like a triangle in its design, it does come in its various components, right? We, we are coming from the, on the medial side here, we are coming from the uh, medial malleolus and we'll come forward and attach onto the, onto the talus. We'll come from the malleolus and come forward and attach from the tibia and attach onto the navicular. We'll come down and attach onto the portion of the calcaneus bone, the sustentaculum talli down here. We'll come down and attach onto this ligament the plantar calcaneal navicular ligament, sometimes called the spring ligament. It runs from the sustentaculum talli to the navicular bone. So you get the calcaneal navicular, makes sense, joins the two bones together, sometimes referred to as the spring ligament. When we take a look at it, you'll notice that when the talus sits on top of the calcaneus, the head of the talus goes beyond the support of the calcaneus. And so therefore, in order to support the head of the talus, it's going to be then supported by this spring ligament here coming from the calcaneus over to the navicular. We'll take a look at it when we take a look at the tarsal bones. The ligaments will then travel down from the medial malleolus and attach into that spring ligament. And then once again, we're going to come back here and we'll go from the tibia back to the back part of the talus over here. So it does come in different named parts but we can take the whole connection here and simply call it the deltoid ligament because it's shaped somewhat triangular in its design. And that's our support on the medial side. Our support on the lateral side, made up of three, fundamentally three individual ligaments. We're going to come from the fibula, the medial malleolus, here, as lateral malleolus here, and we'll come forward and attach onto the talus bone. So we'll have an anterior talofibular ligament, that one, fairly broad, coming across this way. We'll go from the fibula down to the calcaneus, calofibular ligament, coming back down this way to give lateral support. And at the back, we'll go from the fibula to the talus again. We'll have the posterior talofibular ligament coming across the back. I think I had a, there's another look at that posterior talofibular ligament. You remember I said before, uh, one easy way to be able to tell a right from a left fibula was that little fossa, that little depression? Well, you notice that that ligament coming across from the fibula over to the talus bone posteriorly fits into that little fossa. And so that's why if you want to orient the fibula very easily, if you take that little fossa, that little knit, and it has to be facing downward and it has to be facing backward because it needs to be there for the accommodation of this uh, posterior talofibular ligament coming across like that. See how that's going to help kind of give back support to the whole talocrural joint. So we had three on the lateral side. Yeah. That would be the lateral malleolus, this would be the medial one. 
right? We're going to get it from the back. Uh-uh. We're looking at it from, we're looking at it, we're looking at a right foot from the back. Right. Page before. Was looking at a lateral view. That's a medial view. This would be then the medial malleolus on the medial side. It does look a little goop. No, that. Yeah, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, we're still t we're still calling them the tibial ones, right? Yeah, I see what you mean. That looks like the fibula there. No, this would be the medial side here. Yeah, I got you. It does kind of look a little. That's the medial side, which is the deltoid ligament. This is the lateral side. That's the back, posterior view. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. It does kind of look. Yeah, and I know the shading on it that looks kind of funny, doesn't it? Well, maybe I'll have to go get another picture of that one. That was kind of confusing. I have always used this one. I, I, if I've got you right, you mean this this component here looks kind of like the, it should it should be the fibula, yeah. Yeah, kind of weird, isn't it? Well, I wonder if they. Uh, Hmm. You know, it's almost like they goofed, isn't it? Like they used them, they drew the ligaments on the wrong side. I'll have to go take another look at it. Yeah, I got you though. So this is the medial side deltoid. This would be the lateral side when we have the two of them. We have the three of them there, an anterior one, a one to the calcaneus, and a, and a posterior one. Normally, if you want to, if you do a, an, inver, an inverted inversion sprain of your ankle, you go over on the side of it. Normally, it's this one here that goes. The anterior tibiofibular ligament is the one that normally gets stretched a little bit. And then you might get this guy, but very seldom will you get this one hurt in, in that sprain on the outside. Okay. So we did it help if I could see myself and that's better. Almost. Okay, so at that joint, that's a talocrural joint, we'll get plantar flexing and dorsiflexing of the ankle. Plantar flexing standing on your toes, dorsiflexing rocking back on your heels, pointing your toes up. That movement of plantar flexing and dorsiflexing is occurring at the talocrural joint. From the talus, accrual means leg, so it's the anterior, it's the uh, medial and lateral malleoli forming that cup, and then the talus fits underneath. That's where we're getting plantar flexing and dorsiflexing. All right. How are we doing for time? Not too bad. Now, next step. In this picture here, they've taken the talus bone away. They've removed it. And you notice now we have two, at least two, articulating surfaces on the top surface of the calcaneus bone 
those two surfaces are going to be for the articulation of the talus on top. The talus has been removed. This posterior one here, where the talus sits back here on the calcaneus, that joint is referred to as the subtalar joint, where the talus is sitting on top of the calcaneus back here. Okay. And in fact, there's a little bit of a groove here, and there's a ligament that joins the talus to the calcaneus from that groove. I didn't put it in the book, so don't worry about it. Then there's an anterior attachment here of the talus on top of the calcaneus. All right. So if you imagine now that the talus is going to be, it's going to be sitting here, the talus is then going to stretch further beyond the support of the calcaneus and articulate with the navicular bone here. And that's why we had that spring ligament here in order to give support to the head of the talus as it went further beyond the attachment of the, its, its uh, attachment on the support from the calcaneus. This here would be the sustentaculum talli. That would be the medial shelf of the calcaneus coming out a little bit to help support the talus bone. Right. So, if we then, I think my next picture has a, one, I've got one that's got a talus there. There, uh, there we've now put the talus bone on top. Kind of. So we've got a back articulation here between the talus and the calcaneus, that's the subtalar joint. Then we have a forward articulation here between the talus and the calcaneus. Then we have the, the talus coming forward even further and articulating now with the navicular, coming across this way. Okay. So this joint here between there and forward here is referred to as the talocalcaneal navicular joint. It's the talus on the front part of the calcaneus and then stretching forward to articulate with the navicular. That's referred to as the talocalcaneal navicular joint. Part of it, the talus sitting on the calcaneus. Part of it, the talus going forward and articulating with the navicular. So that, let's leave that for a second. Then we have over here on the other side, we've got the calcaneus coming forward and articulating with the cuboid here. The combination of the talonavicular portion here and the calcaneal cuboid articulation here creates a joint across called the transverse tarsal joint or mid-tarsal joint. Now in the hand, what we took, we took the, the proximal four carpal bones and the distal carpal bones and we created a mid-carpal joint in the hand. In the foot, what we're going to do is take the front attachment of the talus as it comes forward and articulates with the navicular. So that would be the talonavicular component of the talocalcaneal navicular joint, right? And then we're going to take the calcaneus bone and put it forward and articulate with the cuboid. And th this joint between the calcaneus and the cuboid over here, plus this component uh, where the talus meets the navicular over here, together coming across this way, is the transverse tarsal joint. The articulation of the talus on top of the calcaneus here, the back part, is the subtalar joint. Okay. 
inversion and eversion of the ankle, turning it inward and outward, turning the sole of the foot inward or turning the sole of the foot outward, is going to occur in a combination between the subtalar joint and the transverse tarsal joint. Both of those joints together are going to account for the full range of inversion, eversion of the ankle. In other words, if you took the talus and cemented it to the calcaneus here and eliminated the subtalar joint, then your range of inversion and eversion would be cut back. Subtalar joint, transverse tarsal joint will account for inversion and eversion of the ankle, plantar flexing and dorsiflexing of the ankle, that talocrural joint, the ankle joint between the talus and the kind of the cup or mortis that's been generated by the medial and lateral malleoli from the tibia and the fibula. Sometimes, and depending upon who you read and who you like, sometimes they will take this front attachment of the talus on top of the calcaneus and include it as a component of the subtalar joint. You might be, if you go back and you read different descriptions of the joints, some people like to put the front attachment of the talus and calcaneus and hook it together with the back one and call this whole thing the subtalar joint. My purpose is the subtalar joint is this one, and the transverse tarsal joint is a combination of the talus and navicular, and the calcaneus and the cuboid. Now this joint here would be then be called the talocalcaneo-navicular joint. Talus on top of the front part of the calcaneus, talus forward to articulate with the navicular. And I'll show you one other thing here. As I mentioned, sometimes you notice in this one that they've taken both the front and the back attachments of the talus on the calcaneus and referred to them as the subtalar joint. But you notice that they refer to it as the surgical subtalar joint. For, pur for that purpose, there's no reason to separate the two, the front and the back attachments. So once again, it depends upon what source you're reading and, and how they describe the joints. But for our purposes, the back one we'll call the subtalar, and the front one we'll call a part of the talocalcaneo-navicular joint. And the talus hitting the navicular and the calcaneus coming with the cuboid together gives us the transverse tarsal joint or mid-tarsal joint. I think that's um, probably not a bad spot. We'll, we'll just finish that off the next time. All right.